This is Civil Discourse on Gila Mimbres Community Radio and KURU 89.1 FM in Silver City, New Mexico. I'm your host, Jamie Newton. My guest is the Most Reverend John C. Wester, Archbishop of Santa Fe, New Mexico. On January 11th of this year, Archbishop Wester issued a profound and powerful pastoral letter entitled Living in the Light of Christ's Peace toward a conversation on nuclear disarmament. Archbishop Wester, welcome, and thank you for being with us. Thank you, Jamie. It's quite an honor to be with you today. Thank you very much. To begin, let's hear your own story of awakening and insight. Please tell us about your experiences in Japan and upon your return to Santa Fe, New Mexico, that inspired your pastoral letter on nuclear disarmament. Well, I was um, in the fall of 2017, I went to Japan uh, for a vacation, really. Several bishop friends and I wanted to see Japan, experience the culture, and so we did it. But uh, an unexpected part of that was, uh, at least in a way, it kind of was something we hadn't planned. Uh, We went to visit Hiroshima and Nagasaki, of course. We wanted to see those sites. And uh, the the impact it had on me was profound. I, I wasn't expecting that. Um, seeing the museum uh, images and the Gobuko Dome that they had left uh, standing that was destroyed there in Hiroshima. It was just really quite something. And um, I was especially uh, saddened when I thought about the children. I read in one of the exhibitions that the little children were attracted to the light, the bright light of the atomic bomb detonating over their heads and running to the window to see what it was. And of course, in our Christian tradition, uh, we see Christ as the light of the world that brings new life. But this bright light uh, did anything but that. And I just was so sad. I think part of it was, it brought me back to my childhood. I, I'm born in 1950, so I remember vividly the Cuban Missile Crisis of 1962. And I can just remember walking up uh, Glenwood Avenue and the planes were overhead and I looked up to see if they were Russian, if they had Russian markings on wings, you know, <laughs> and I must have absorbed some of the tension of the time. We lived across the street, really, from the Nike missile site. Uh, the, and the day that was the modern, uh, today there'd be like little pop guns next to our thermonuclear warheads. But um, uh, so I can remember the, my own fear and then thinking of those little children and anyway it really struck me deeply so we were the three of us were profoundly affected by those two visits and then um, uh, came back home to uh, Santa Fe and subsequently was taking friends through the museums there and saw the display of the Manhattan Project and it was the juxtaposition of those two visits really struck me you know here I am uh, Archbishop, Catholic Archbishop in San Francisco of uh, San Jose, Santa Fe, and um, uh, having just been in, in, in Hiroshima and Nagasaki, here the, we saw the bombs created and manufactured, and now they saw the terrible destruction that they affected there in Japan. So it just struck me that this is something that's important for, for us and uh, 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 my Catholic tradition for us to be speaking to. And I know many other faiths and, and many other people that are with us in this in, in speaking to the importance of, uh, of being at the table of talking about nuclear disarmament. Um, it's a personal thing. I remember the, um, I think it was T.S. Eliot said that the language of the dead is charged with fire or touched with fire beyond the language of the living. 
I, I can hear the voices of those little children and of all the people that were killed in those attacks. And of course, to expand that all the people killed in that in the war and speaking to us today and saying, you need to do something about this. This cannot go on. So that really prompted my uh, writing of the pastoral letter to begin this conversation around nuclear disarmament. You wrote that historically the Archdiocese of Santa Fe has been part of a peace initiative and that you believe it's time to rejuvenate that peace work. Archbishop Wester, what gives this time, our time, the urgency expressed in your pastoral letter, and how will a rejuvenated peace initiative go beyond what the Archdiocese has done in the past? Well, you've hit upon a very important theme, Jamie, and and that is the urgency of the matter. we human beings, of course, are easily lulled into a false sense of complacency. We oftentimes put things off uh, for for tomorrow, and uh, uh, we uh, don't like to confront difficult facts or uncomfortable truths. And I find this in myself, to be honest with you. Uh, I, I sometimes can't read about uh, nuclear disarmament and the literature before going to bed. It, it doesn't it doesn't do to a good night's sleep, you know. So um, uh, it's not an easy, but an easy truth to look at, but it is urgent, uh, particularly because we've, we have approximately 13,000 nuclear warheads in the world today. And uh, on average, each of those is about 600 times more powerful than the bombs dropped in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And so um, when you think about the destructive power that we have, when you secondly think about the human nature in our, our that we're prone to uh, accidents and that difficult things can happen, you know, without or even intending it. Uh, you look back at the 1962 Cuban Missile Crisis, both Kennedy and Khrushchev were both of them dedicated, passionately dedicated to not using nuclear weapons. And yet we came precariously close to doing just that. And so I think that, um, uh, Today, we see world leaders that aren't quite so passionate about not using nuclear weapons. And just recently, we heard uh, Mr. Putin rattling his nuclear saber uh, at the beginning of the Ukraine war, which began on February 24th of this year. So, And now we're seeing these heightened tensions with China and the United States over Taiwan. So I think that there's a lot of urgency to this matter because of the, uh, the tremendous destructive nature of nuclear weapons because of the uh, political, geopolitical situation in our world today, with the Ukraine war and the tensions in the, I think because of the, re, the, the, the retraction from, the retreat from uh, what had been some rather successful non-proliferation uh, treaties that were over the years in the 80s and 90s, 70s, 80s, 90s, um, we're retreating from those. I think the urgency is also heightened by the fact that, that we see ourselves in really a second uh, arms race, arguably more dangerous than the first, with weapons that, as I say, are uh, with hypersonic weapons and artificial intelligence and delivery systems that are far more sophisticated uh, than we've ever seen before. All of these things put together, I think, make the situation uh, quite urgent. And it's one of those realities that when it's too late, it's too late. We have to act now. That also makes it urgent. Sometimes, you know, the doctor can say to you, well, I told you, you should have quit smoking a couple of years ago. Now I'm going to tell you again. And um, so there might be times to say, yes, gosh, I better I better do it. 
But with nuclear weapons, uh, once the buttons are pushed and the missiles are launched, uh, it, there's no tomorrow. There's no, it's, it's too late. So I think all that adds to the urgency of the matter. And you have a platform to stand on in that you've said there is a tradition of a peace initiative in your archdiocese. And you've called for rejuvenation of that. How would what you have in mind go beyond the work of the archdiocese in the past of tradition? Well, the, um, uh, yeah, the archdiocese in the 80s uh, had a tradition of, of making heightening awareness of this issue and the urgency of it. And I guess, you know, we, we get lulled into a false sense of complacency, the, uh, the dissolution of the, uh, the Soviet Republic, the USSR. Uh, there's a kind of, and, you know, the narrative has always been that we are, we are safe because of deterrence. You know, we have our nuclear weapons to keep us safe. But that narrative is wrong. And that's why there's an urgency to this current conversation to rejuvenate conversation about nuclear weapons, because uh, we don't really have safety and deterrence. By increasing the number of nuclear weapons, it's actually made us more dangerous. Uh, some people say that we're naive, but actually uh, it's naive to think that weapons are keeping us safe. And furthermore, the United States and other major powers we know, but certainly the United States has never had its, its sole goal of deterrence. It's always been deterrence coupled with first strike capability. And, um, and so if we was only deterrence, we would need a one to 200 missiles maybe for just deterrence. But that's never really been uh, the only goal in mind. So I think that's why this conversation is so important. And, and again, I, I stress the word conversation because it's, um, it's not a debate. It's not trying to prove that we're right and you're wrong or you're wrong and we're right. It's, 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 it's meant to learn from one another. And my, my feeling is, my sense is that if people of goodwill come together to respect one another, to communicate, you know, as you say, civil discourse, to engage in civil discourse, my feeling is that that conversation will lead to an agreement that we need to rid the world of nuclear weapons. How we do that, you know, uh, that's going to be the, where the rubber meets the road, and it's going to be difficult and complicated, but we mustn't uh, shy away from complicated issues, because if we do, as I say, it could be too late. I want to encourage our listeners to take advantage of the link that we'll post on our website to your 52-page pastoral letter. They will find there a very thorough historical treatment of the doctrinal movement of the Roman Catholic Church from a position of accepting nuclear arsenals for deterrence to the current position of calling for complete worldwide nuclear disarmament with which your pastoral letter unites. In your pastoral letter, you call for education, dialogue, and public witness, and you also write favorably about nonviolent civil disobedience in pursuit of worldwide nuclear disarmament. You write, Pope Francis has for the first time invited the church to understand Jesus and the gospels in light of nonviolence as a fresh new way to live out our discipleship in the nuclear age. Archbishop John Wester of Santa Fe, New Mexico, I'd like you to please talk about what this means to you, to live and act nonviolently in the nuclear age as we seek to bring the nuclear age to a close? Well, again, Jamie, I think this is a very important point. And um, uh, 
I, I believe that sometimes we can water down the gospel of nonviolence and we can forget that Jesus was very much committed to nonviolence. You'll recall when the disciples asked Jesus to, to call down fire from heaven upon the Samaritans because they wouldn't let them come through their town. And, and Jesus would have none of it. And when, uh, uh, when the disciple pulled his sword at, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said, clearly, put, your, put the sword back. Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. Again and again, Jesus rejected violence. He was definitely uh, uh, one who proclaimed and lived peace. And we find ways around that, don't we? Historically, we human beings, you know. Yes, but it's the, um, it's the uh, one of our deacons that is today, oh, it's the old situation of the yes, but. I agree with you. Yes, yes. But what about this? And so we water it down. And so really, this is something that um, I think we mustn't do. We must really listen to that. And, and so I think it, I have found a lot of um, uh, inspiration in what's been called the third way. Uh, you know, we always talk about the flight or fight instinct in human beings. Uh, I think of the beautiful book To Kill a Mockingbird by Hopper Lee, and you'll remember that very poignant scene when Atticus Finch is leaving Tom Robinson's house there in the woods, and Bob Ewell, who we come to know is the actual uh, culprit in that case, not Tom Robinson, confronted uh, uh, Atticus Finch and spit in his face with his children, Jim, and Scout watching from the car. And, and, and um, Atticus just stood there. He didn't hit Bob Ewell, nor did he run away. He just stood there. This is the third way. He reflected back the violence and the evil that Mr. Ewell was uh, attacking Mr. Fin uh, Atticus Finch with. And, he, and, and, if, and from our Christian perspective, really giving him a chance to have a metanoia, a chance to repent, a chance to see. He, Atticus almost saying to him, look at what you've done. Look at the spit on my face. Look at this. Confront it. Be 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 repent of this and and take the path of peace. This is what it means, I think, to 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 take the path of peace. It's a courageous stand. It's not running away, nor is it resorting to violence. We don't fight violence with violence. You know, as Martin Luther King Jr. said, you know, only love can conquer hate. And so, uh, I think it's good for us to reflect on this, and that's what we're doing by this uh, peace movement, if you will, this movement toward nuclear disarmament, verifiable multilateral disarmament is this third way of standing up to the violence that is threatened by nuclear weapons and standing up to the violence that the nuclear weapons have already uh, uh, given to our world. To look at the downwinders and, and Tularosa and uh, those who work in labs who've been uh, victims of radiation poisoning, et cetera. So I think that um, it's important for us to stand up to it in a courageous way, but in a nonviolent way in order that we might pursue paths of peace and I think, obviously, as we think of, uh, of our Lord Jesus standing up to Pilate, uh, the essence of truth, and Pilate said, what is truth? Jesus was there in front of him, standing up to the violence about to be uh, perpetrated on him. He could have called down legions of angels, but he did not do so. He didn't fight violence with violence. He stood for peace and, and, and showed us the way, the path to peace. Your reference to To Kill a Mockingbird, Archbishop Wester, calls to mind one of the scenes that has impressed me so much from that story, where Atticus, having been told that a mob was coming to lynch the man he was defending who was in jail, 
sat under a light in front of the door to put himself between the mob and their, their intended victim. And his little daughter, Scout, showed up there. I think that was not what he expected. And when the mob came, she called to one of the men in a very personal way and asked him to say hey to his son, her friend. And suddenly it was not a mob about to attack a victim. It was a group of neighbors with children who knew each other and were friends. And the mob turned and they went home because this little girl, naively, of course, and just from the depth of her spirit had made that contact with those people and turned them from about to be murderers to neighbors who realized they needed to go home back to their families. Beautiful, beautiful. That's so true. Yeah. If you're just joining us here on Gila Mimbus Community Radio and KURU 89.1 FM in Silver City, New Mexico, this is Civil Discourse. I'm your host, Jamie Newton. My guest is Archbishop John C. Wester of Santa Fe, New Mexico. This interview is an exploration of his pastoral letter entitled Living in the Light of Christ's Peace Toward a Conversation on Nuclear Disarmament. Midway through your pastoral letter on nuclear disarmament, Archbishop Wester, you conclude a synopsis of Jesus's teachings on peacemaking and universal nonviolent love with a strongly worded declaration. There are no exceptions, no justifications for warfare, and no just war theory. Have you encountered challenges from Catholics or others who would argue that a just cause implies a just war, that even possession and use of nuclear weapons may be justified to prevail against a truly evil opponent. I imagine some might cite the cruelty and destructiveness of the Ukraine war that began on February 24th with a massive Russian assault. How would you answer such a challenge? Well, it's, that's a, a, a difficult um, challenge, of course. Um, and I think it's like so many other things in life that we have to have our principles. And at the same time, we do see that we have to apply those principles in certain circumstances. I think that for me, I say in general uh, that, uh, you know, especially with nuclear armaments, there's no such thing as a just war in the traditional understanding of that uh, theory. And, and I think it's also important to point out because I think people assume that the just war theory was promoted, was there so that we can justify a war. But actually, the just war theory came about as a way of limiting war. The, the, the trajectory of the, of the theory is to do away with war, uh, but kind of to say, but it, in certain circumstances, it may have to be. But the, the trajectory of it is against war. So that's our movement is against war and, and to always try diplomacy and 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 those other means uh, before we resort to war. But certainly with nuclear weapons, the, the, the points of the traditional just war theory are no longer hold water because, for example, the, the, uh, the proportionality, there's no way to be proportionate in a thermonuclear war that would destroy the entire planet. Proportionality goes out the window. Uh, another example would be not to target non-combatants. Well, there's no way to eliminate that, everybody would be uh, either killed instantly or eventually through the radiation poisoning. And then the, the uh, lack of sunlight would kill off all vegetation and the human race would starve to death. So, so really there's no, those 
elements of the just war no longer obtained in today's modern nuclear warfare um, realities. Um, but, you know, I think, again, too, um, uh, from a moral perspective, um, we have to be careful that, <laughs> that the war that we might think is just is actually far worse than uh, the cause that we think is so righteous, you know, that we've, we've come up with something even worse. Uh, it's kind of like, I guess, saying the cure is worse than the disease, you know, uh, that, that you're better off uh, to deal with whatever the problem was without resorting to war. I, I can see there may be situations that take it to a very uh, personal level where a person would be justified, for example, if, the, if his or her only resort to save, say, a, a loved one was to uh, attack the accuser and even to shoot and kill the accuser, where that would be in our moral theology uh, acceptable. Although I admit that I, I do know there are people who would go so far as to say that, no, I would, I would allow myself to be killed before I would kill another person. I think of Benjamin Solomon, for example, a Catholic who was born in 1888, and I think he died in 1932, and he was a uh, uh, um, he opposed uh, World War One, and he would not sign, register with the, the Selective Service, and he was castigated. He was condemned by the church and by the civil society. He was imprisoned and eventually put into an insane asylum. And on his tombstone, he said, "There's it says there is no such thing as a just war." I agree with him. I don't think war is ever just. I think I can see uh, perhaps make a case for a rare occasion when it might be something that might be uh, uh, justified uh, morally, but it's, it's, um, it's a hard case to make. So I, I, I hope I'm not waffling here on your, on your question. Um, uh, I think morally speaking, we have to uh, say these are our principles, but principles have to be applied in, in given situations where we look at, at God and our moral principles, the context and humanity. And um, so I think that all of these things have to be taken into account. But as I say, um, you know, if, if, if more people are going to be killed in the war that we think is just, then are going to be killed because of the aggression that we're responding to, one has to look at that and say, well, how can this be a proper thing to do? I admit that it's complicated. And from a moral perspective, it's very complicated. And frankly, I sometimes think that only God can sort it out. But I hope that that's a, a fair answer. I hope it's a, as an attempt at an answer to that very important question. You quote Pope Francis in 2019 when he visited Nagasaki. Convinced as I am that a world without nuclear weapons is possible and necessary. And he goes on. Your pastoral letter makes a strong case, as you did just a few minutes ago, for the necessity of nuclear disarmament, Archbishop Wester, please speak now of sources of hope that worldwide nuclear disarmament may actually be possible. Well, I think we, we, we saw it before. Um, I think it's, again, you know, when we first had our, our nuclear treaties, we saw, you know, I think at one time, I, my statistics may be a little off, but I think we had around you know, tens of thousands more nuclear armaments than we have today. So there has been a reduction in some ways that we have to be careful, though, because we see a quality, a quantitative reduction, but not necessarily a qualitative reduction. So uh, we've seen a, a lessening of the numbers of nuclear warheads, but we've also seen them more uh, accurate, for example, and the delivery systems are more effective. 
So we may have fewer nuclear weapons, but in fact, the fewer that we have are far more lethal and destructive than the many we had before. So I, but I do think that having said that, I do think we've seen some progress. So it tells me that progress can be made. Uh, I think too that you know we we see that they're having a, a, a non-proliferation treaty as we speak, the UN, and, and that ends on August 26th, I believe. So I think that the um, you know the the willingness of many of the states, the parties, states parties that are uh, willing to to sign these documents is is a is a sign of hope that people do see this important thing. Uh, now I have to admit that it's also dismal to see that. The main countries like the United States and Britain and Russia and China and other uh, such countries with nuclear arms are not part of these treaties. And that's very discouraging. So we have to keep working for that. But I do think that uh, I think, too, a source of hope for me is um, is that the Holy Spirit is at work. And, you know, I, I think of Gerard Manley Hopkins, beautiful poem. You know, the world, uh, the, the, the Holy Spirit, the, because the Holy Ghost broods over the bent world with warm breast and with upright wings. The Holy Spirit is constantly, God is constantly renewing creation. And the Spirit is at work in us. And I do believe as a person of faith that God is working in us. And I see people of faith uh, who, are, who believe that God is working. And I know that um, as we're making this recording that uh, on, the, uh, on the August 6th, uh, that there's going to be a, 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 a service that the Quaker Church is sponsoring and has sponsored for quite some time now, I think since 1986, on this very issue. And so I think that that's a sign that people are open to the uh, God's uh, work in us. And that's a, that's a source of hope for me uh, as well. I think, too, that the fact that people are caring more for our common home, as Pope Francis calls it, where I see more and more people alarmed and concerned about global warming and, and, and how we are uh, destroying our environment. And I think that that gives me hope because what's more destructive of our mother earth than nuclear arms? You know, that would happen in an instant, you know, in a matter of minutes, we'd see the whole world destroyed. So I think that that gives me hope as well, you know, that the people are, are more and more um, attuned to uh, caring for our, our, our common home. Your vision of the future, as we've just heard, goes beyond nuclear disarmament to coping with catastrophic climate change and building a new culture of justice, peace, and stewardship of the planet. Your section on A Way Forward offers suggestions and resources for reflection, dialogue, and action. Let me ask you to conclude with a concise take-home recommendation for our listeners, Archbishop Wester. What do you want people to do? And in particular, what role do you see for communities of faith? Well, let me fudge a little bit on my answer and give you two answers. I say the two things people can do would be, uh, and put part of the same action, would be to go home and to educate ourselves. I cannot tell you how, how, how important it's been for me uh, to educate myself on these issues. There's so much that I just did not know. And um, so I think that's critically important. And then doing that, having done that, to let that turn into action, to really engage people in the conversation. Uh, my family, fellow church members, colleagues at work, schoolmates, um, to write to our, our elected representatives, our leaders, political leaders, to make our views known on the urgency of the situation. I think it's got to be this conversation that really takes place. So I think if we could all 
see ourselves as responsible, that you know, don't rely on somebody else to do it. Don't rely on your pastor or uh, your uh, elected officials, but we all need to take responsibility. It's, after all, we all have a stake in this because we're the ones that will all perish if there's ever a thermonuclear war. So that would be my answer there, I think. You've been listening to Civil Discourse on Gila Mimbres Community Radio, broadcasting as KURU on 89.1 FM in Silver City, New Mexico, and streaming on the World Wide Web at gmcr.org. My guest has been the Most Reverend John C. Wester, Archbishop of Santa Fe, New Mexico, talking with us about his pastoral letter, Living in the Light of Christ's Peace, Toward a Conversation on Nuclear Disarmament. Archbishop Wester, thank you so much for being with us today. And thank you, Jimmy. I've enjoyed it very much. And thank you for your contribution to civil discourse. And thank you to our listeners for listening and for supporting Gila Mimbres Community Radio. KURU 89.1 FM. I'm Jamie Newton.